Hi there. Welcome to the FVC Paris, a podcast that explores intersectional feminism through literature, hosted by me, Louise Binns. Today I'm talking to Jane Healy, author of The Animals at Lockwood Manor, which was recently named as the Historical Writers Association Debut Crown Award 2020. The Animals at Lockwood Manor is set in the UK and it's set against the backdrop of the Second World War. 30-year-old Hetty Cartwright is tasked with the evacuation and safekeeping of the Natural History Museum's collection of mammals. Once she and her exhibits arrive at Lockwood Manor, however, where they are to stay for the duration of the war, Hetty soon realises that she's taken on more than she'd bargained for. Protecting her charges from the brutish Lord Lockwood and resentful servants is work enough, but when some of the animals go missing, and worse, Hetty begins to suspect someone, or something, is stalking her through the darkened corridors of the house. I think if you're a fan of Shirley Jackson or Daphne du Maurier or Charlotte Bronte, then The Animals at Lockwood Manor is definitely for you. I sat down and had a chat with Jane about her writing inspirations, her characters, what comes next for her writing, and some of her favourite reads of the year. Enjoy. Good morning, Jane. Thank you so much for coming on the FBC Paris podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, Um, really looking forward to talking about The Animals at Lockwood Manor. Uh, so this is your debut novel and actually we can start with a congratulations because it's just been awarded um, a, a Historia debut novel award. Yeah, the Historical Writers Association. Association, yeah, yeah. so debut big crown deal. Crown, is... Debut Crown, which is such <laughs> a gorgeous nice name, title. isn't it, for like a, yeah. a first, uh, first novel. So massive congratulations at the end of a very... Horrible year, uh, strange year, scary year, mm. um, something nice, um, something to cherish mm. and, and feel good about. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about The Animals at Lockwood Manor, which I read, which I loved, which I'm so excited to talk to you about today. Um, but before we kind of get into characters and what happens and the writing process, can we just talk about how the idea of taxidermy came to you? Because it's quite a mm-hmm. big theme in the novel. And my previous exposure to taxidermy was David Sedaris like writing about his obsession when he lived in London. So mm-hmm. it would be great to hear from you a little bit more about how that became such a, a, a central theme. Mm. Um, well, I think, I mean, I find taxidermy just overwhelmingly me creepy I don't mm-hmm. like it I wouldn't have it you know um I wouldn't have any in my house not that I, not that I could afford to own any but yeah same I, oh, there's something about the um, like the attempt to freeze life to kind of to show at a creature that's alive but it's dead also frozen at the moment of its death Oof. I think I go into that with you know um earlier taxidermy they would often pose it as if it you know, it was in the middle of an attack or had been um, hunted. Uh, yeah, there's just so much, like, themic depth to taxidermy. Mm. Uh, like, the hunting trophy, the connection to ideas of empire mm. um, and travel and exploration. And the fact that early specimens at the Natural History Museum were brought back on slave tri- on slave ships. So there's yeah. that direct connection there. So the inspiration for the novel came because I think I was searching um, about the history of the Natural History Museum and I came across an article that talked about the evacuation during World War II. Mm. And um, that was, I can't remember what collection it was, but it was moved, you know, there were different collections were moved to different stately homes and mm. one was moved to Forley Court in Essex. And the article said that the museum workers uh, had a contentious relationship with the major, with a major and his daughter who owned the house, and that line just that was enough to be like, oh, wow. um, I just love the idea of these interpersonal scenes taking place in an old stately home, but in rooms crammed with um, taxidermy, you know, glinting eyes, just this yeah. mute, dead presence. Like, yeah, yeah, just, it 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 definitely adds to the creepiness it, it mm. like ramps it right up yeah 
and the feeling of fur as well. I think Ooh. I often start a novel with a feeling and this one was the idea of walking through a dark corridor and also the sensation of fur on your skin. Yeah, that was... Okay, well, yeah, it's certainly presented in a very um, interesting way. I think I agree with you. Um, I can't afford taxidermy and I would never consider to have it anyway. <laughs> and we're going to get um, into um, a little bit later on that idea of power that you've just referred mm. to, um, which was not something I'd ever thought about before, but made total sense once um, obviously I'd, I came across it in Lockwood Manor. Um, so yeah, Lockwood Manor is huge. There's like kind of just under a hundred rooms. It is this vast, vast space. And as I was reading, you know, I was kind of certain other books, which we could describe as Gothic, uh, Gothic horror also kind of came to me such as, um, Wide Sargasso Sea, uh, mostly there were shades of that with Lucy's mother, the major's mm. wife. Uh, there's also the yellow paper, uh, mm. yellow wallpaper, sorry, because Lockwood has all these fantastically different rooms that are decorated and a lot of them have different coloured themes. Mm. Um, there's also a little bit of like Jane Eyre, um, Rebecca, that mad woman in the attic kind of theme um, and a little bit of the woman in white as well. Um, I wonder if you could maybe speak about your literary inspirations when it mm -hmm. came to writing The Animals at Lockwood Manor. Um, you know, I think we quite often think of American and British writers, but perhaps there were also um, other writers um, who inspired you, um, you know, but you obviously put your own kind of stamp on this uh, genre. Um, yeah, this, I feel like this novel was such a homage to all my to the gothic literary um i did a dissertation at edinburgh university master's dissertation on jane eyre and its literary descendants so that was rebecca widescassacy and also margaret was lady oracle which is kind of like a a, mod, a postmodern gothic yeah. um, about, a, about an or, yeah about an author who writes um kind of gothic romance novels yes. who finds herself in in one it's it's very yeah, it's very interesting. There's a lot of mirrors in that and issues with her mother. So, mm. um, But I, I was named after Jane Eyre. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah. I love and, that. <laughs> and, I, and, it, but my, and my mum gave me a copy of one of, of her copy when I was about eight. Um, oh. But when I got to the part in the red room where she sees a spirit, mm. um, I was totally terrified because I saw ghosts as a child because I had sleep paralysis episodes oh. and um I also grew up in a haunted house so it was just too oh. it was too it was too, it was too eerie. close being yeah after, yeah being named after Jane Eyre and that and I was like no so mm. I put it aside and then at university I read it and just fell in love and wow. yeah Jane Eyre and Rebecca is, mm. and White Sagasso Sea definitely I, I reread White Sagasso Sea often I just think it's mm. so powerful and yeah I love Jean Reese and um I think one thing, uh, that whole figure of the mad woman in the attic is so um, interesting. And I think, I, I'm not quite sure I realised at the start that I was doing it, but I certainly, as I, as I continue writing, I realise, but the animals, the log man, that Hetty is kind of a classic Gothic heroine who arrives at a house, the secrets, um, you know, she's kind of gets haunted by what's happening there and Lucy is a, a kind of mad woman in the attic mm. um, struggling with her mental health mm. and although her mother is also a mad, the mad so it's and yeah that, what I wanted to do was have a romance between the two so the gothic heroine and the mad woman in the attic fall in love and um, <laughs> save them save them save each other save themselves um, yeah. and yeah so I oh. thought that was a really interesting way of like taking those two figures from the female mm. gothic genre and bringing them together mm. and giving them a happy ending yes. <laughs> like it's so nice to see that <laughs> um okay thank you for kind of talking us through that a little mm. bit um you've mentioned hetty and lucy there so hetty is um 
an orphan actually um and she so it's hetty who comes from london from the natural history museum she is quite i think we could say actually i don't want to say a modern woman but she feels modern because mm. she's um surrounded by mostly male colleagues um effectively this role of her coming to the manor and being responsible for the animals is a, a promotion it's a promotion for her that comes about simply because men have to sign up and go mm-hmm. to the war because it's 1939. So, so her promotion kind of comes about under circumstances that it may never have happened had there never been a war because men would have always kind of kept her down. Mm-hmm. Um, so she comes to this countryside manor. She meets the major, uh, who we're going to talk about <laughs> a little bit later on. And... Um, and Lucy is the lady of the manor. So she's in line to inherit uh, Lockwood. And from the kind of go, she is set up as being pretty fragile. Um, the mm. father warns Hetty to kind of leave Lucy out of whatever you're doing here because she's, you know, very sensitive. Mm. Um, which never quite comes off as you know, caring and supportive. Um, So yeah, as we read the novel, there's this really gorgeous, kind of tender, loving friendship that develops into something more. It develops into a relationship. Um, Despite all of the kind of like the, the, the creepiness and the hostile setting of the manner itself in which, you know, things are going more than bump in the night. Um, And yeah big spoiler here they get a gloriously happy ending in a cottage in scotland there's cats tortoiseshell cats two of them which as a cat lover obviously delighted me um did you always know jane that there would be a lesbian relationship um in lockwood manor or was it something that came up um as you were writing and kind of how how did their story how did that come about for you like why did you make the decisions that you did mm-hmm. um yeah I always knew it would be a relationship between two women um I'm queer myself so yeah I'm kind of drawn to those mm. stories and I knew they would have a happy ending and I knew yeah it's it's interesting like with distance that the it's a very sweet tender love mm. story um and that's I realised kind of in hindsight that that's kind of me writing against type because I'm often really attracted to in literary um, to to kind of complicated or dark or mm-hmm. doomed relationships. Those are my favourite um, stories. And also in my future, in my second novel and my future novels, I, I can't promise happy <laughs> endings for my queer characters. I'll, I'll state that now. Okay, but, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but I I really because you know there's so many. Um, uh, queer fictional relationships that end unhappily and um I really didn't want that for the first novel I was like no this is going to be a happy ending they're going to save each other it's going to be um lovely and tender and yeah and I'm I'm really happy they got their happy ending (laughs) (laughs) me too Um, thank you and also I I want I think I was interested in writing about that so they're both around 30 Mm. I um, was interested in writing about two women who think they've kind of lost their chance for love and romance yes. I mean I love Sarah Waters books but those are often um about queer communities and and like the like lesbian the early lesbian mm. scene and I, I love those they're fascinating to read but mm. I wanted for this to be it for it to surprise the two of them to to be um outside of that to yeah have that kind of they just find each other and it's a um yeah. yeah, and it can be a nice thing, you know, that they can both be kind of open to that, receptive to that, and imagine um, a kind of a, an alternative ending. I don't want to say alternative, but for the time, mm. um, you know, it was an alternative ending. It's not what was expected of either of them, you know. Mm. Uh, Hetty's um, adoptive mother would have much rather she have taken up with someone like the major and found herself, mm. you know, a rich husband. 
and uh, then there's kind of all these gorgeously described balls and, and kind of festivities mm. that happen at the manor. Even oh, I love a ball scene. E- love a ball scene. <laughs> there has to be a ball scene. Yeah, um. and then there's like kind of loads of flashbacks to ball scenes that Lucy remembers her mm. parents hosting. So like parties, fully, yeah. fully kind of like love fed it. everyone's like balls. I love an opulent, I love opulent <laughs> descriptions. Yeah. I'm realising this as I write more and more novels. I just love kind of lush, opulent settings well, and fading ones ones that have a, yes. like a dark sting to like them. a former glory kind of mm. losing it yeah absolutely <laughs> so obviously there's lots of suitors for lucy at these things mm. but she's kind of like oh it's really creepy because you i'm just part of this house for you like you're just mm. looking at kind of what you can so it's just simple well, fairly simple, fairly uncomplicated. They do spend a few pages not talking to each other, but generally speaking, uh, fairly simple, tender, like you said, like very, very sweet and happy ending. And I, I loved what um, I think it, I think it's the last sentence. I loved what Lucy said about freedom, about how it gave her a path to somewhere, a future where there was happiness. Um, you know, a future that she could decide for myself that just, mm. even now, that kind of gives me goosebumps. Aww. I just, I, I loved that so much. It was such a beautiful kind of way, I thought, to end. Mm. Um, so, yeah, g- gorgeous, gorgeous writing. Um, so, maybe, um, would you like to read a little bit now? Yeah, or do you sure. Wanna, yeah, should we do that? So, let's, which, um, which page, which part? Which page? I am reading chapter 22. Cool. Uh, which is page 167. I've got it. Okay. Uh, this is, um, so it's a blizzard scene because it's very wintry here. And yeah. <laughs> so that would be on theme. Just feels appropriate. And this is in Hetty's voice, the chapters alternate between Hetty and Lucy. As January arrived, so did the coldest winter in living memory. Not that one would know we had even a wisp of a cold breeze if one read the newspapers, which were censored to avoid giving out valuable weather information to our enemies. And no matter what Lord Lockwood had promised about modernising the house, no matter how many radiators there were or special deliveries of coal arranged for the hulking new boiler, it could not mask the fact that Lockwood was an old manor house, and houses like that were always cold in winter, colder, it sometimes seemed, than outside. Cold enough, one sometimes thought, to have been purposely built that way, to have the drafts and the chilled stone walls carefully penned in on the plan by the original architect. Strange frozen spots in the house, windows that always rattled, no matter how much one plugged gaps with rags, and water from the tap so icy one risked frostbite each time one washed one's hands. A house like that was used to be ser- was used to being served by a battalion of servants lighting and tending fires in every single room. Black leading fireplaces, breaking their backs, throwing wood and coal up and down the stairs, shoveling endless bucketfuls from the great mountain in the coal cellar, singeing their fingers with sparks, cleaning rooms of smoke that had blackened its corners. As winter deepened, I started to think that the house was a kind of temple, and that without the appropriate worship of enough servants, several of of whom had now left for war occupations, it would refuse to heat up fully, even if the physics of radiators meant that it should that it demanded we tend to it personally. And then a blizzard arrived, and as the snow and freezing rain fell in quantities no one had seen before this far south, the world outside the manor became impassable. We could only stare out blindly at the whirling gusts as half the servants who took rooms in the village were stuck there, and the other half were trapped in the house, unable to make it through snowdrifts that were over five foot deep in places. A delivery of coal had been due, and the hungry boiler that fed the radiators of the house could not run on the wood the groundskeepers had cut while clearing land at the edge of the forest last autumn. The major was said to have a new electric heater in his room, but the rest of us had to make log fires in ours, which did little to keep away the cold. The housekeeper brought out musty blankets from Lockwood's stores, moth-nibbled and furred with unidentifiable hairs and dust, which I dutifully piled on top of my bed and shivered underneath at night, struggling to sleep, chilled to the bone. After three nights without coal, I woke to a dark house, as if the snowdrifts had pushed so tightly against the house that they had swallowed it from ground to roof. My breath made a silvery cloud in the air as I scrabbled out from my blankets, emerging from a dream of being smothered by some great creature, of being buried alive in ice. It was the electricity, Dorothy told me, when I came down for breakfast in the dining room, layered with two jumpers and a scarf. The ice had frozen the cables and brought them down, plunging Lockwood into the past. But the only lights were candles and gas lamps that the servants brought out from the attic, the air smelling of beeswax and oil, flames flickering and casting shadows onto the walls. That evening, by some unspoken agreement, 
The inhabitants of Lockwood, except the Major, who had seemingly barricaded himself in the safety of his room, slowly congregated in the kitchen, where the large wood-fed range was belching out warmth as we sat or stood around the table, cups of tea in hand. I stared at the pockmarked wood of the table, trying not to notice if anyone was looking at me strangely, knowing that the servants had no doubt complained heartily about me and my unreasonable demands these last few months. I had never felt comfortable in groups, not after being bullied at school, and it was one of the joys of working at the museum that we very rarely gathered together for meetings or were expected to socialise with one another. Lucy was the last to arrive in the kitchens, carrying a great mound of fur in her arms that had me out of my seat with confusion before she dropped it to the floor with a grimace and a little laugh and the heap still apart to reveal flashes of rich silk innards in reds and purples and blacks. My mother's and grandmother's furs, she said, lifting a coat up by its collar. I had the thought that we might as well get some use out of them. Yeah. Thank you. Wow, so atmospheric. And actually I'd underlined a couple of sentences from uh, the chapter that you just read aloud. I think that idea of emerging from a dream of being smothered by some great creature, of being buried alive in ice, you just put sentences in like that where I was just like, oh, wow. Um, oh, thank you so much for, for, for reading aloud some of that. Um, I think it conjures up the kind of atmosphere um, of the house so so well and also that that time that it's in and how it's kind of a shadow of its former self mm. because of it has so many needs and there isn't the kind of human manpower for want of a better word mm. uh, to to kind of tend to it um and such a glorious image of lucy coming down <laughs> with her furs yeah. and just being like this these will keep us a bit warm hey everyone um it all yeah. gets a bit Narnia in the scene after that because they all have their fur coats on and then Hetty goes wandering in the dark yeah. to check up on her animals wearing the, wearing the fur coat and sees reflection of herself wearing, yeah. I just, yeah. I think it's that combination of the taxidermy and then knowing that because it's a rich family living in a house, there would be mm. fur coats and that era anyway. Yeah. yeah. And the dinner party, they all wear fur coats. So there's that yeah. connection. Yeah. And, then, and even Hetty's reaction when Lucy walks into the kitchen mm, with the fur and yeah. she's like wait are they are they my animals <laughs> like what's going yeah. on you because know that kind of, of like anim- yeah one of the taxidermy animals gets skinned the skin gets stolen yeah at one point so, so yeah so let's kind of I'd love to talk about the animals and the major a little bit um mm. so I mean Hetty to- Hetty is you know qu- quite self-aware um very self-aware and even she talks about, you know, at the, even early on, like how at the Natural History Museum they played God all the time, mm. um, but just by the kind of system of how they work, naming, classifying, uh, putting that she, she, sorry, I'm quoting here, put the natural world into an order of our own making. Mm. Um, so when you kind of combine the animals and what they represent uh, with someone like the major, who also is described as, you know, the first image Hetty sees of him. He's surrounded by hunting dogs. Mm. I think she references the empire. He's a businessman. I don't think we ever really know what business (laughs) he's in. So, you know, shady. And yeah, he's just a, a kind of terrible person who immediately claims the animals mm. as his own what was it like <laughs> to to write write a character like him mm. um it was fun i don't know it's yeah. quite fun to write a write a villain especially the scenes where he's talking to hetty and Ugh. kind of just being rude and so rude. dismissive and um you know across this is a lot of meetings with him across the desk or at dinner table he's kind of cutting into all his like meats and she's oh, just yeah. sitting there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I, I don't know whether to talk about spoiler things, but. Oh, go for it. He wasn't, I didn't, it's, it's really interesting that the things you learn from the editing process, this, mm. um, I feel like this novel, it had quite a few drafts and it was about, about winnowing down the story and mm. choosing from the gothic elements, or from the many gothic elements I wanted to <laughs> But I think uh, there were some other characters uh, in earlier drafts and we took them away and then there were um, 
and then I noticed oh, there's a lot of maids coming and going, you know, without these mm. other characters. It seems, and only then did it twig. Like, did I think, oh, okay, I, I'm trying, I'm trying not to swear. Yeah, um, the connect, why the major was connected. So, so he was. A, I knew he was a monster from the start, but the level of his monstrosities wasn't. Yeah. It kind of it took me a while to like dig down into that and to connect it all, and then to and then. Um, to, for him to kind of be the ghost figure, and for yeah, so you know why were the why were the the maids so um, nervous and scared at the beginning? Mm. You know, was it going to be um, a ghost? Was it Heloise? Was it yeah? And um, what were we talking about? The major? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm so not that I was thinking about all my other different drafts and all that. No, I just um, yeah. I mean, I discover stuff as I'm writing. Mm. Um, I wasn't quite sure who was moving all the animals. You know, I didn't yeah. quite got ev everything, and I wasn't. Sh um, I think I said the other day, the Mary, the figure of Mary. When mm. I realised why she was called, why the nickname Little Rabbit connected to her, I was like, okay, yeah, now I know yeah. all, the, all that, all those connections, and they're there when you write the first drafts. They kind of, you kind of, uh, you kind of put them in your mind subconsciously puts them in there mm. with imagery with like word choice and then mm. you dig you kind of unravel what you've written or you you follow threads and realize oh okay so all this stuff can be connected and that's yeah. i mean i love that that aspect of writing um but yeah he was a is a great villain to write and a great kind of figurehead of of um that kind of aristocratic yes um, that arrogance and power yeah, the and power. empire yeah and the you know the the manor is his little kingdom and yeah the, the animals are his subjects mm -mm. and animals and, and the women there are his yeah. subjects um he's uh, yeah i mean it was it was so i i love that element of suspense there was so much suspense throughout the novel that i i thought built up brilliantly and I wasn't I, I wasn't expecting it to or I wasn't expecting the major to mm. be as big a baddie as he was mm. um even though you know it's true thinking back all the signs were there I mean mm. was he the original gaslighter you know mm. um he was just terrible with Hetty he was terrible with Lucy um some would say he got his just rewards. Oh, spoiler definitely. alert, <laughs> um, So, yeah, just a terrible man. And it I can imagine it was kind of fun to throw everything behind that. Mm. Um, I always knew that his, his ending, you know, would be mm. what it was. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's yeah no doubt. Of how, how he got there. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, oh, I was thinking. I was thinking of another question just then coming out of that. Oh, so it was. Um, so moving kind of like away now and and back to Hetty and Lucy and their relationship. Mm -hmm. I loved that there was the um, alternate uh, narratives in the chapter. So mm -hmm. uh, it's Hetty and then it's Lucy. Um, and I just loved that we got to see a little bit more of Lucy because everyone around her does seem to be kind of stepping on eggshells they don't really know what to do there's obviously mm. that element of the major he's embarrassed by whatever it is that's kind of ailing her even mm. though after we're kind of like okay well you were totally contributing to that and, mm. you know yeah. um yeah so it's all kind of very hush hush but hearing from lucy herself mm. she sounds like yes yeah, she has anxiety but she's also had traumas you know mm. and I think it's just she's learning how to work through her grief and her mm. fears um so I, I yeah I love that you gave her a narrative again was that something that you always knew you would do because mm. uh, they're so different Hetty and Lucy are, are, are quite different as you mm. know as well in terms of upbringing and 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 kind of how they are Hetty's quite admirative of Lucy isn't she Lucy's mm. kind of like someone who's the, that friend who's the life and soul of the party mm. um, and Hetty's always kind of like the passage that you read from like a little bit shyer a little bit mm. kind of tends to veer away from group situations so how was it kind of creating getting like in those two voices heads mm. and kind of writing them 
Um, like the first draft, um, Lucy's voice was only in the epilogue, and then um, my agent was like, "Okay, we need we need more of this," and I was like, "Cool, this is awesome." Because <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 and then I, um, and then yeah, and then I kind of threaded her chapters through, and her chapters didn't. I didn't do much editing; they just kind of came out. I love that. I, I love a, a first person. Um, point of view like that that's very um, not dreamy but it's all it's her it's following her thoughts and delving into the past and yeah because it's um, in italics isn't it yeah it's in italics yeah which is a really nice styling um, um, and she's considering her past and her story and Mm. um, I've written about this elsewhere but both characters are mapping the house so Hetty is mapping it in quite a where are my animals? What's happening to them? What's happening in the house? She's, you know, striding around with a checklist, yeah. checking doors. Um, Lucy thorough. is sleepwalking mm. through the house. She's she's trying to. Her, one of her childhood nurses taught her to 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 picture herself walking through the house to try to get to sleep. Yes. So she's in this dreamscape where she's sleepwalking the house physically, but also in her mind, and also. She's mapping the history of the house. She's mapping what mm. happened to her mother there and what might have happened previously, the kind of secret traumas that the house holds. Yeah. That's one thing I really like about Gothic is how it's it's so focused on trauma and how mm. the house and the domestic space reflects that and yeah. reveals it. Yeah. Um, and th- that kind of psychic trauma that the, the house is, the, you know, it's crumbling, there's things happening in it and it's reflecting the, the horrors that have happened yeah. in that domestic space that have yeah. been unseen. Um, Which, so, yeah. Which, Dor- whether, sorry, like, I was going to say, you have yeah. the Dorothy character as well, who seems to be yeah. a little bit of a, she kind of really feels the house and I feel like she understands mm. that the house is talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love Dorothy no, exactly. Well. They were all trying to, and then of course Heloise is trying to, find whatever she's trying to find yeah. whipping in and out of doors yeah. thinking that she's there's someone there she's yeah. lost something where's the woman in white yeah, yeah so I really you know the the house isn't just a static setting for me it was no. so much about how these characters feel in the house how the house reflects them how they yeah. picture it how they what does a room mean and a you know a locked room a secret room mm. what is it like to be trapped in that what What's it like to be trapped in a large house? What's going on in other spaces? How do you control that? And um, yeah, especially because there's a real sliding scale. Like Lucy has grown up there. A sliding scale of kind of super. I would say kind of super. If you believe in the supernatural or not, hmm. like because Hetty is quite. You know, she's the Londoner. She comes up and she's like, I am practical. I probably don't believe in ghosts. Hmm you know, blah, blah, blah. But she's still very sensitive kind of to what Lucy is going through. Whereas Lucy has grown up and has this whole other history. So, mm. and then you've got kind of Dorothy, you know, and then you've got the housekeeper. So it, it, what you've said mm. there, yeah, is really fascinating about how the house is absolutely a character in and of itself mm. that responds to the various characters, personalities who come into contact with it. Mm. Um so yeah, it was fantastic, and I think that lead up to like that very final—I th- believe it's a Christmas party—where mm. um, everything is kind of, you know, it's taking place in that long corridor, mm. and Hetty's freaked out because it's going to be like candles, like a candlelit mm-hmm. dinner, and she's like, "Oh, the animals are so close." <laughs> I completely understand her stress because I Hetty know. is very professional and cares about her job a lot. And it's I lo- funny. I, I love that. <laughs> I, I don't I, t- I try not to read reviews but like occasionally I've glanced at Goodreads and oh, some, yeah. I have seen some people be like oh I knew what was going to happen as soon as it was candlelit you know oh it wasn't a surprise I'm like of course it's not a surprise you know it's so, <laughs> it's not a to Rebecca it's quite clear yeah. <laughs> that something's going to go down um, yeah um, so yeah it was just the way that it kind of all built up and how mm. everyone was kind of there you know mm. um, to see it go down it was just this fantastic as I've mentioned before like this creepy building mm. up of, of suspense and all all the players were there including the house um so 
so it's been wonderful to kind of get not kind of it's been wonderful to get more insight and to talk to you more mm-hmm. about these fantastic characters you've created um in in your debut novel and um what would you say have some of the the highlights been of releasing releasing this like what were you kind of reality versus expectations kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. I mean, the the launch was amazing. Mm. So I had that up uh, here in Edinburgh at Lighthouse Bookshop, which is oh, one of my favourite bookshops. Yeah. And um, they were so um, they were so excited. They were like, "Oh, let's do something special for it." And oh. so we had a um, they set up tables and we had a long kind of dinner in the in the well. We had cake and and like yeah, champagne. <laughs> yeah, like oh, in the book. And, and people came and and some people came dressed up. I was wearing like a fake fur shawl oh and it was can we had fake candles gosh on the long table and this was literally a week before um lockdown oh, <laughs> it was wow. so we were all kind of sharing yeah um how lovely it was so, it was so lovely that. and then two yeah. of the booksellers did readings one is lucy one is hetty um oh, and that was wow. just the most spectacular lovely thing and lots of friends came up and my family and so that was just such a highlight and yes. such a dream. I never imagined I'd have like a themed book launch because yeah. it's quite daunting the idea of having an event, the first event for your book and, you know, oh, I can you know will people come? Will they want to read? Yeah. Um, but you so got that, that. That's amazing. So that is, um, and it was so, yeah, um, it was so lovely of them to do that. And it was just, it was quite a small number because we couldn't fit in, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really special. And oh. I think... And just seeing my book in the shops, and also seeing what this, how spectacular the hardback was, and the Waterstone Special Edition, which I was never expecting to have sprayed I... edges like that, oh, just astonishment. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Um, someone like went and bought a signed copy. Yeah. And I was, I because because it was just so beautiful. I remember putting it on my stories a year ago when I saw it uh oh was it a, it feels like a year ago uh, <laughs> um when I saw it in um Galliani in Paris and mm. it is I mean I am a sucker for a beautiful book cover and this yeah. is just it's so stunning. opulent I love it <laughs> it's so opulent which it has to be it's Lockwood yeah. Manor also the I mean I'm spoiling it now but the <laughs> I don't think it was purposeful but the gold uh, that was surrounding yeah. the house everything obviously when it hits the light it looks like fire oh my gosh I d- yeah I don't think that was personal but it definitely and That's the birds a... are flying out of it you know yeah and, um, yeah, because they're yeah. gorgeous. Are they the We're both holding up our books. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, look at this book. People on the podcast can't see it. Um, because there's, um, every chapter, is it a hummingbird? Yeah. Yeah, I, love, I love that. I love that. So and that was gorgeous. a surprise to me when they told me they were doing it. And also, what I love about that is it's it's um, reflecting the hummingbirds that go missing in the house. Yeah, they're yeah, you know they're yeah. sprinkled through the chapters, yeah, yeah. and that you can you see them and feel anyway. Oh my gosh, humming- I just love all man. these details. So yeah, okay, I didn't realize it was waterstones. Actually, I didn't do very yeah. They do but, the special um, spray I, I saw that for Emily St. Mandel, the Glass Castle. Mm. I've noticed that with that as well. Yeah, they're but doing quite a few now, and they're absolutely they're stunning. <laughs> um, I'll share a picture in in our stories when we the paperbacks come out in February. That's oh, exactly. a little bit different. They've, it's a it's, well, it's, it takes a lot it takes a lot of the imagery, but it's a bit of a um, has it got simple. like different? Okay, it's it's, it's uh, but it's still got gold and still got, still got gold. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. So, you know. Um, Yeah, so the book and the launch and, yeah. That just sounds, yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, apart from that, releasing during a pandemic has been, and, uh, you know, I had a couple of weeks of being able to visit bookshops and see see my book, but after that, no. (laughs) I haven't been able to go in bookshops, so. And um, people haven't been able to kind of browse uh, different parts, you know, so. No. That's been... But, but then I've heard from people who have loved reading it while they've been in isolation and oh, found, yeah. you know, comfort or entertainment and enjoyed it. Yeah. So that's been really nice. Yeah. And hearing from the readers. And like on Instagram, I love hearing from readers on there and seeing people yeah. take yeah. lovely pictures yeah. of books. The nice side of social media. Yay, <laughs> books. <laughs> One of the places where it isn't dark online. Mm. Um, so... So the animals is out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw some activity on your social media recently, and I've just seen in your bio blurb. There's something coming in 2021. 
do you want to like I don't know how much you can say just tell us what you can tease it yeah we're really excited um so my second novel uh the Ophelia girls is um publishing in July here in the UK and August in the US okay wow and I'm really really excited about this novel I love it so much um I've been thinking about parts of it for probably maybe like 15 years so um it's been percolating my mind um it's a dual narrative half set in 1973 and half in 1997 wow and it's about a group of girls in the 70s over a summer who pose as Ophelia and various um kind of pre-Raphaelite herons in a lake in, in a river and near a grand house and they take posts of each other and um have this um kind of feverish woozy summer mm. of delight before tragedy occurs at the end of the summer and then 24 years later, one of those who girls who's now a mother mm. uh, returns to the house after her father dies with her children, one of whom, Maeve, is 17 years old and she's just in remission from uh, childhood cancer. Mm. And a photographer friend of her mother comes to stay with them and gets entangled with Maeve. And um, yeah, it's all, it's all about kind of girlhood and art and desire um mothers and daughters voyeurism um inheritance all that kind of stuff oh and and is there going to be some there's going to be some queerness too i imagine yes yeah okay that sounds wonderfully atmospheric Mm. i'm hooked i'm hooked (laughs) i'm gonna as soon as we can pre-order i'm gonna be doing that december is a time when a lot of people kind of Talking about the their favourite books of the year, the best books of the year. Mm. Um, but I, I always personally feel a little bit of pressure at that because I'm like, but mm. I love all the books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to what have been some some of your some of your favourite books from this year mm. uh, that have kind of got you through the weird lockdown phase. Um, that have just, in a way, like the animals at Lockwood Manor, has been really kind of nourishing and comforting for, for people. What what has that looked like mm. for you in terms of literary comfort? Um, well, I've, I've read so many, well, not so many, but I've read, yeah, I've read a lot this year and read so many amazing, good yeah. novels. Uh, you know, yeah. it's hard to winnow them down and, yeah, and exactly. some wonderful debuts. But I think two books that I loved and that didn't I um one of them which I have here the ensemble by Aja Gable oh my gosh um, didn't, I really, I didn't really make waves here in the UK and it came out in 2017 I think oh, and wow. this was actually recommended to me by an author when I put out a call I was like does anyone know of any good cla- music, novels about classical music? Because I was interested in reading them. And this is about uh, a quartet, a string quartet, and it follows them, an American string quartet, and it follows them from student to middle age. And it, it's four, so it's the four different points of view, and it is just stunning. I can't, mm. like, uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever read a novel where I felt so connected to the characters and felt, they felt mm. so real. Mm. And she's, and the author, she's so good at um, kind of forensically analysing relationships and characters. And each each chapter is almost like a short story. And she, she shows the moment, like when a character falls in love or falls out of love, mm. or the moment when a character changes their mind about something. And just, yeah, just the, the psychological depth of it is just stunning and just blew my mind. I was underlining things on every page. <laughs> oh, wow. I, and I found it, it was moving and, you know, they're all just fallible and broken, but they mm. support each other and they get entangled with each other and um, and the, the uh, descriptions of music and how they play and because they're playing together. So it's all about this symbiosis and yeah. and the way that their lives kind of fall apart outside of the quartet and um yeah I just I yeah I've never kind of read a novel like that with that psychological depth I think and that like how could yeah anyway (laughs) well there's there's one character in it who's he's kind of the golden boy um, Henry and she managed to and she doesn't undermine that she doesn't ever 
like make him not the golden boy but somehow in that she finds this amazing depth this that that's his like flaw that he's that things are too easy for him too good I, and just oh she does it in such an interesting way anyway i could ramble on with that forever yeah, it's so good and i just want everyone to read it <laughs> i think that's fantastic we'll put it in the show notes in the newsletter as one of your recommended reads i'm actually i'm realizing that i think i saw this on your feed and commented mm. on it yeah yeah because i went to uh, music school so oh, obviously wow. the classical music aspect yeah. and playing in an ensemble where you've got all that kind of not ego but dynamics mm. of like the lead violinist and the mm. second violinist and so it just sounded wonderful from that aspect so yeah. now what you've just shared is like I'm, I'm actually popping into Shakespeare later to pick up a book mm. so I might just give them a call and be like do you have this book yeah. Jane Healy tells me I must read it she made just, it sound so yeah. amazing I just think it's I mean I think it's you know, the style won't be for everyone. I you no, know, know that from not. seeing that reviews that some people yeah. don't. But yeah, I it was just so, I haven't come across writing like that in that kind of style, I think. And, and I think, um, like you said, sorry, um, to say it came out in 2017, it's not one of those that I heard a lot of noise about. Mm. It, I mean, it did well in America, I think. Mm, and okay. it is a gorgeous cover. It's um, gorgeous cover, it's, yeah. I mean, it's yellow and it has like bright flowers on it. Yeah. Um, and I think if I have room to say two books, my second book oh, you would be do. Uh, The Possessions by Sarah Flannery Murphy, which I just read a few Ooh, weeks ago, actually. Look at that front cover. Just blew my mind. What I knew I'd like it, yeah. but I didn't know I'd like, I, you know, I knew, oh, this is going to be a good book. I didn't, but I didn't know I'd be like devoured whole by it. I just, <laughs> wow. so it's kind of gothic and noir and um, it's about it's kind of setting a parallel world to ours where mm -hmm. there's a secret society called the Elysian Society where clients come to reconnect with their dead loved ones. Oh my um, gosh. And people, the people who work their channel, their dead loved ones and they're called bodies. Mm -hmm. And um, it's about a character, Eurydice, who's one of those bodies, and she channels um, uh, a character, Patrick, his dead wife, for him. And um, it's it's like, um, and she kind of, and then she gets entangled with the Sylvia, the dead wife, because she's channeling her, and Patrick as well falls in love with him, and and starts this kind of relationship. And it's so much. And Rebecca is such a like a. Um, um, literary influence on it because it's all about that obsession oh. with the first wife <gasps> you know yes. that first wife figure and, and we and, and it's and through the you're not sure Patrick's you know he's a shady there's darkness mm. there what how did his first wife die oh and, yeah and when she channels the the white we don't see those scenes because she because she um uh the way the narrative works that's when because she kind of gives her body up to that so we don't see those scenes when he talks so what that happens is they sit in a room and they talk with their loved ones yeah. so we don't see those scenes and wow. so it's about that body horror of Eurydice as well not knowing what's happened during those periods of time and then of course because it's gothic and it, that identity of the of the first wife the dead first wife starts to mm -hmm. infiltrate her kind of waking oh, life and she my gosh uh, oh, and the, the writing is so beautiful. It has this amazing, like, themic imagery depth. It's just, like, the metaphorical depth of it is yeah. so beautiful. And it's so... And you think... And so you think... So there's a... Eurydice, she's kind of getting taken over by this other wife. She's in love. You know, she mm. kind of wants to her position. She wants to be with Patrick. Mm. And so when you're reading, I don't, you're thinking, okay, so where is this going to go? It's gothic. It's, yeah. you know, it's only going to go one of two ways. <laughs> but she she... The author um, just complicates it in this really interesting... The ending is just, like, brings this poignancy to it that I was not expecting and just... I think I gasped when I got to oh. this scene. I was like, oh, my God, but of course, and it makes so much sense and it's, like, beautiful and, it, and like, there's a tender, like, aching quality to it. Um, it's just, like, gorgeous and I loved the 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 like atmosphere in it and the the or well, the concentration on the body and what it means to own a body and that strangeness mm. and familiarity mm. and yeah <laughs> um so wow, those two really are, are books that have they kind sound... of become favorite you know top yeah. 30 ever reads okay. of my life oh okay yeah okay yeah. that's big um okay well thank you so much for sharing that it's really exciting i could go on and on about that <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> 
Um, well, I know that we've also read another book because you mentioned in Ophelia Girls kind of mother-daughter relationships. Mm. We've both read uh, The Margot Affair by Sanna yes. Ewan Wan this year. Oh, that, that was my third. It, right? I was like, I couldn't, third, yeah, yeah. I couldn't fit that in. Um, but The Margot Affair, yes. Wasn't that oh. fantastic? Yeah. yeah. yeah and that yeah. really, that was, it was interesting reading that after I'd finished The Ophelia Girls because that has, there's definitely kind of vibes mm. in that. There's the, she's a teenager, there's an, you know, there's an older man in that, there's older figures and there's yes. the mother-daughter yeah. kind of competition yeah. and what it means to be beautiful and yeah. yeah. And then the yeah. French kind of layer that just yeah. was added on. Yeah, oh, absolutely love that book. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jane. I have really, really enjoyed chatting with you. Mm, I hope you've had wonderful. a nice time talking yeah, about your book. <laughs> um, talking about your book a bit more because I just, it's having spoken now to a couple of authors for... Uh, for the podcast it is such a like it's such an intense time before the book comes out mm. and then you know the book can come out and you just don't want it to kind of disappear you know you want it to kind of mm. keep living so I, I love that we got to speak about um this book and um the paperback is going to be exciting as well mm. uh next February and yes um we will put kind of all the links and the books that you've recommended mm. and everything and and your social as well because um a little bit I go to you and I go to Zebra Talkani who was always also on the um podcast uh, last season you are both just kind of if I need book recommendations oh, I just go to you, you. too <laughs> so um I'm gonna obviously put your kind of social links in the in the show notes as well thank you so much for your time thank you for having me it's been wonderful I loved Aww. getting to chat for like a lengthy amount of time <laughs> about that thank you thank you for your time and yeah it's just been wonderful have a lovely weekend yeah you too I hope you have a good Christmas too oh thank you yes we're again we're, we're going to keep it quite small mm. and intimate as well because just gotta be very very careful yeah thank you speak soon take care bye thanks so much for listening to the episode if you enjoyed it please subscribe give us a like give us a comment we always love hearing your feedback and in the show notes you can find where to buy a copy of the animals at lockwood manor where you can follow jane on social media because she has awesome book recommendations all the time and any books that were referenced during our discussion Take care. Speak soon. Bye.